this is our, our second week in a, in a series. Uh, last Sunday, we started this series that we titled One Another, Worth the Work. I have often said one of the things that I am always in awe of God about is his perfect knowledge of all things. And the fact that when we ask him for wisdom, so that sounds easy, but, but the Bible would set that up in a way where to really, truly ask for wisdom, you have to understand you don't have all the answers yourself. And that's the hard part for some of us, right? Like, it's easy to pray, Lord, give us wisdom, but it's another to reach the place where we say, Lord, we just don't know. And we need wisdom. We need you to lead us. And so that's often the way um, I pray around sermon preparation. Um, I... I want to, my, my goal, I've said this before, so many of you are educators or, or some of you work in business and you're used to kind of planning things out. I have uh, the, the, the conviction that the Lord is working in his people over the course of time. Over, over, so for teachers, right, you have one year with this class and, and you start at a certain point and you need to get them to another point by the end of the year. You have a, a, some growth you want to see happen. And, and I believe the Lord works the same way with us. Uh, just not as fast. <laughs> The Lord takes the, this whole length of time in our lives to, to, to build us up and to grow us and mature us. And, and then the, uh, the crazy thing is, so like Stephanie has kids coming into her room and they're all in the same age group and, and theoretically at least, right, they all have the same knowledge when they come in and then she's going to take them from this point to the next point and then they're going to move on and eventually Margaret's going to have them and they're going to have this much knowledge and she's going to get them here, right? But the amazing thing about the Christian life is it's not like that. See, we all come at different points. And some of us progress a little faster, and some of us are a little slower, and we, we all grow different points. So you can't just look at someone and go, you're how old? Oh, 30? Oh, well, at 30, you know this. Oh, you're 45, so you've mastered this, right? Oh, you're 70, then you are here. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't even work that way if we ask, how long have you known the Lord? How long have you walked with the Lord? You can't just say, oh, you're three years into your discipleship journey. We're not all in the same place three years after following Jesus. So... All of that reality just presents a real challenge then for someone like me who believes God's working over the whole of our lives. God's using most normally, while, while we have this incredible, some of you have had these incredible moments, right? They're just like, you're at the peak of a mountain and God's just doing something incredible and amazing. I, I know for a lot of students, that's, that's what happens at Chi Alpha, right? With Morgan and Tyler, when they're there, right? These are just like mountaintop experiences for some of these students, it just changes their lives. I mean, changed your guys' lives, right? Your Chi Alpha experience was just was God stepping in and just, boom, redirecting life. And, it, and that's awesome. But, but normally, the way God works is through what we, what we would call theologically the, the regular means of grace. Coming to church, hearing the word of God preached, learning and worshiping in song, Amen. the discipline of prayer at work in our lives, yes. celebrating baptisms, celebrating the Lord's Supper. These are the regular things that God uses to to grow us. And since that's the case, and since that's how he's working, and we're all at different spots, what, what, what I could kind of bring this back, what I come into the situation with is every time I sit down and I look, and I, I try to look a, a year ahead, and I pray, Lord, okay, for this coming year, because I, I grasp calendar years fairly well, Lord, I mean, what are the big things that we want to try to do this year? What, what are some big things you want to work on your people on? And, and then I have to immediately go, Lord, give me wisdom. Because it's, it's hard enough to, to, to scope out a year for my own family, who are all in different spots, let alone my whole church family, right? We spread this out to 120, 130 people that, that are in and out of here pretty regularly. There's a lot of different people in a lot of different points, and I just have to admit, Lord, I don't, I don't know 
where to go. I don't know how to plan for all this. I just don't have the answers. Lord, I need your wisdom. So I pray that, and then what I'm always amazed by is how God will start to put things on my heart. So I'll sit in December and in January, and I'm laying out a calendar, and I know we're going to study this and this and this, and here's a five-week block, and I think the Lord has a five-week series to put here. And I think it should be on the one another's that we've talked about in membership um, uh, recognitions throughout the years and things like that. And so I'm planning this out, and it's kind of tentatively written into my calendar. And then here we are at this moment of our church life, and, and we can admit, many of us were in the room an hour ago. This is a unique moment in our church life. It's kind of heavy. The room does feel a little heavier in this moment right now. And I had no idea that's what September 19th was going to be. I mean, if you think I did, man, you think a lot of me. Because <laughs> I can't see the future. I promise you. I wish I could. Things would go a little different in my life, right? If you knew what was coming. But God knew, and God put this on my heart, that this wasn't week one of the series even, was God's divine hand. This is week two. So we're going to build off of what we talked about last week. We're going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about the fact that they are work, but they are worth the work. Yes. And we're going to see that today God knew perfectly what we needed to discuss. This series, this was the, the statement I had already written out before today, was this series is designed to help us build out the framework for truly Christian relationships. We're going to draw upon those 59 one another commands. I mean the 59 times in the New Testament we find it's really one Greek word translated into English as the two words one another. And there's 59 times that's applied in a command to God's people where God says, this is how you, my people, are to interact, are to live, are to relate with one another. So we started last week and we said our relationships matter a great deal. They impact us a great deal. We know that to be real. We know that to be true. And so as Christians who want to apply what God's word says, we understood we need to know one another. We need to be known by one another. That can be very uncomfortable at times, but that's the work we're called to do. And today what I want us to talk about is how we are called to worship with one another. <laughs> As Christian, again, if you're not a Christian, some of what I'm saying is going to kind of go like, that sounds like a nice idea maybe, I can take it or leave it, but you know, I'm, I'm looking around this room and, and okay, so everybody in this room, we profess Christ. Every one of us in this room say, I know the saving power of God, right? So if this is the case, then these commands speak directly to us about how you and I are to relate to one another. And as Christians, we should want to obey what God says to do. So the second week in this series, we're going we're gonna to start by noting the fact that we are even gathered together like this is in obedience to one of these 59 one another commands. There's a reason why, again, just like, let's just acknowledge what's happening. There's a reason why in 40 minutes ago I didn't say, hey, that's enough for today, guys. Uh, why don't you go ahead and have an early lunch and everybody go home? There's a reason why I said we are going to gather and worship the Lord and hear him speak and pray and do what we're going to do. It's because we're told explicitly in Scripture to do this. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. We've read this verse before. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet, one, meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
So it's important for us to recognize it is a matter of obedience for Christians to gather together, to worship the Lord and to relate to one another, interact with one another like this. And more than just this being a matter of obedience for you and me, and, and at times I get it, sometimes obedience means I'm gonna, I'm gonna push through, like I don't want to, I don't feel like it, but I'm gonna obey anyway. Sometimes that's the case. But the Bible isn't really interested in just motivating us by raw commands of I don't care how you feel, I just want you to do certain things. God goes after our hearts in profound ways. And so what he tells us here, like even in this verse, is that the command to gather and assemble together like this is for our good. Like, he doesn't want you to just push through all the time. Maybe, maybe that's a couple days. Maybe that's a season where you've got to just obey. I feel like it, but i got to obey. But he wants you to understand, this is for your good. When you get together in here, it shouldn't be just, all right, come on, come on, count down. Now I get to go, right? This should be, I long to be with God's people. I long to be encouraged by the saints around me. I long to be able to encourage them around me. This is for our good. It's for our good. So we're told in Scripture that we are to gather. We're told in Scripture is that gathering is for our good. We're believing that to be true. That's why we're here gathering. And so we understand that as we get together, we have specific purposes. We have specific outcomes we're looking for in our gatherings, right? We want certain goals to be accomplished. And some of those goals are relational. We want to grow in our love for one another, as this text says, encourage one another to love and good works, and then to encourage one another. But the primary reason that we assemble together isn't actually so much about us as it is about God. God is to be the center of our gatherings. Just like God is to be the center of our relationships and our activities that we live out with one another. He's, He's supposed to be the center of everything, everything for us. I, I've, I've explained before, and, and this is just because these are interests of mine, but if you go to different um, churches from different traditions, you might notice the pulpit is put into different places. So recently I was in a, in a Catholic church, and, and the pulpit's off to the side over there, and, and front and center is an altar, and they do that because they think that the altar is the, the physical body of Christ through, through a doctrine that we, we deny. We don't believe that. We have the, the, not an altar right here. We have a pulpit right here. Why? Because on the pulpit rests the Word of God. And he's at the center for us. What he says is at the center of everything for us. So this is why we gather him at the, at the center of everything that we do. This is, this is the point. And there are two main texts, two main one another texts, that talk about what we are to do when we're with one another like this in order to worship God. The first is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 20, which tell you and I, be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the other text is is very similar to it, a text we explored in our sermon series through the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verses 16, and I'm throwing in 17 because you should know it's one of my favorite texts. Verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love that text. Now these two texts put together stress for us the primary things about why we gather together. 
They're probably the things that come to mind when you think I'm going to go to church or you're trying to explain, invite somebody. I, I'm going to go to church. What do you do at church? Let me explain to you what we do. These are probably the main points for you, right? We gather together to worship through song. We sing together. This text tells us we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So I've said before, that's why we sing a variety of types of songs. We don't only sing from the, the Psalter. In, in the Bible, we've talked about this before, the Psalms, it, it's the prayer and song book of ancient Israel, right? Like that's what the people, when they gathered together to sing and worship the Lord, they sang the Psalms. But we don't just sing the Psalms, we sing some. So we sang from Psalm 130 this morning, part of, of that, and we will wait for you, or I will wait for you. We don't just sing the Psalms, though. We also sing hymns. We have our hymn books in front of us. Most of you uh, have, have had those hymn books in front of you for a long time. Some of you don't even need those hymn books, but you know, those hymns are there. Those are the songs you sing. But we don't just sing from our hymn book either. We also sing spiritual songs as well. We don't sing just one category. We sing in all of these. And, and, and the prayer, the hope is, I know Wendy's prayer and hope certainly is that we would truly be worshiping God and enjoying worshiping God through all of those different styles of worship. And I get it. Not all's our favorite. That's okay. What's, what's the thing we say all the time? If you come and you say, I just really didn't like worship today, the response is going to be, maybe not from Wendy because she's not quite as bold. The response from me would be, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you today. We were worshiping God. So that's okay. When your favorite, that's all right today. It's okay. We'll try to get your favorites in there later. So we gather and we sing. We gather and we sing. We also gather and we thank God. We do that through our prayers. We do that through our giving. That's what our giving is. It's a thankfulness to God. Lord, you've provided for me. Thank you. I honor you and I trust you with the future as I give this back to you. I believe that what I give to you is a better investment than putting into my 401 k for you, my, my retirement account, my savings account, my storing it up. I trust you to provide for me. I'm grateful you have. I trust you will. That's what we're doing. And here in Colossians 3, they tell us another key part of gathering together is that we would have the word of Christ dwell in us richly. So that looks like this moment. It looks like the word of God being preached. It looks like God speaking to us through these words that he has given to us in the scripture, front and center of everything. And then we respond and we ask God, help us to help these words to get pushed in down into our heart. Help us to have this really dwell in us. Lord, don't let us leave the word of God in the sanctuary when we walk out today. Help it, help it be dwelling in our hearts and our minds. So this is why with these kind of things, the, the summary of what the church is all about, we've, we've looked at this verse before in Acts 2.42. This is from the very beginning of the church really being formed. Here's the summary statement of what the church is. The church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Like from, from the start, that's what we're about. That's what the disciples were about, the word of God being taught, having genuine fellowship with one another to, to kind of modernize it to, not that I think my language is, is the best language, but just to use my language from last week, they had fellowship with one another means they knew one another. They were being known and they knew each other. They took the Lord's Supper together as he ordained, as we will do today. They prayed together. And then as Ephesians and Colossians stress, they sang with praise and thankfulness to God as they worshiped with one another. Now, we need to push this truth down deeply in our hearts. We really, really do. Worshiping with one another is really vital to our spiritual health and to our relational health as Christians. If we don't do this, if we don't do this, if we don't do this properly, all kinds of tensions, all kinds of brokenness occurs. If we don't engage in worshiping properly 
with one another, then we're going to be tempted towards sin in a, in a whole variety of ways, and in ways that really impact our relationship primarily with God and then with all the people around us. If we don't set our focus upwards toward God, if we don't unify with one another in looking to him and pursuing him and seeking to love and honor and obey him above all else, then as our gaze drifts off of God, our actions follow and our relationships begin to rupture because of it. When our gaze is off of God, we're tempted to sin in a couple different ways. One would be looking to each other too much. Looking to one another too much, right? This is where you can become, I can become judgmental of others because I'm looking too much at them and too little at God. It's where we can sin in becoming partial, starting to treat certain people better than other people because we get certain things from them, right? So James talks about that. Don't, don't honor the, the rich man who, can, who could reciprocate. No, sit with the poor who can give you nothing, right? Don't, don't be partial, this, if we look at one another too much, we can begin to walk in dissension. We can begin to gossip, become angry. We can hurt other people. Because while we're created for relationship, we're not created for relationship that's only focused on one another. We need something, someone greater in our relationships. And the other temptation for, for some of us, for some people, it's more natural to look to others, to the one another's around you when you're not looking at God. For some, it's, it's more tempting to look inside, to look at yourself too much. You can begin to put yourself on the throne of your life, like you're the God in charge of all the things going on in your life, right? You try to make everything go your way, to do what you want, to get your likes and your desires met, right? That becomes the focus of your life. What do I feel? What do I want? What do I desire? I'm going for it. And that leads us to being drawn into bitterness and self-righteousness and self-pity or self-aggrandizement. Maybe you're drawn towards the martyr role, poor me. Maybe you're drawn to the, I'm better than everybody else, of course, you know, right? I mean, we're, all these different things. My point is, when our focus gets off of God and onto anything else, to others, to ourselves, whatever, bad things happen. Brokenness enters in. The key to fighting back against these different sins, whichever particular sin it is that we're drawn towards, the key to fighting back is looking up to God and understanding that by His grace, what He's commanded to us in coming together, assembling together with one another like this, is so that we get our eyes off of each other, off of ourselves, onto Him, and we worship with one another. We're not worshiping one another. We're not asking others to worship us. We're worshiping God with one another. That focus, that commitment leads into so much else in our lives. If this is right, if this is where we are, it does impact us. So listen then, if, if we understand we're going to come together, we're going to worship with one another, we're going to set our gaze up on God, focus on him, then here's what will flow from that. We'll understand that we are called in James 5.16 to confess our sins one to another and pray for one another. We will know that Galatians 5.13 tells us, You were called to freedom, brothers, but do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Rather, through love, serve one another. 1 Peter 4.10, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 tells us, Encourage one another and build one another up. Hebrews 3.13 says, Exhort one another... Every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Finally, brothers, rejoice 
Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. All of these commands, all of these words to us, and they, they feel like really words to us right now, right? Amen. This is what it means. This is what it looks like to understand that we are to live with the goal of worshiping God with one another. He is central in our life. We take our eyes, we put them upon Christ, and we let that focus impact what we do with those around us. And I get it. It's not always fun. It's certainly not always easy. We said that was true last week. Taking, having good relationships takes hard work. Not just a little bit of work, sometimes a lot of work and hard work. And for Christians, part of what it means for us, as we talked about last week, again, just praising God for his wisdom of what he led us to look at last week, it specifically means that we have to deal with sin as sin. Seeing sin as something serious, treating it in the way the Bible tells us to treat sin, knowing that it's deadly, knowing that it's dangerous, so we respond in obedience to the word of God by seeking to put it to death. Not tame it, not hide it, not manage it, mortify it. We have to kill sin, or it will kill us. We're in this life and death struggle in this life. And the good news is we're, we're, we're promised victory as a Christian, right? We know the outcome, but, but sometimes knowing the outcome doesn't mean the moment feels really encouraging, right? The moment can still feel really difficult. Yeah. We have to mortify this, and we have to kill this, and we have, to, we have to work at it. We have to call sin, sin. And that works really uncomfortable. Like, let's admit, it's really uncomfortable personally, privately to do that. When you start to feel the Lord kind of convicting you of something, right? That gut response is, oh, I'm going to close my Bible. Devotions are over for the day. <laughs> right? It's hard personally and privately. And it's even harder relationally and in community. It is. It is. It is. But it's necessary. So like I said last week, the constant and the continued response that we are going to have throughout this whole series, all five weeks, is that we are going to first have to look at our own hearts. We are first going to have to ask God, root out the sin in me. Maybe some of it's really, really deep. It's been in here a really, really long time. Maybe some of it is just developing. Maybe it's just, you know, that seedling that's just starting to sprout. But Lord, the prayer every single week, no matter if we prayed it last week or not, the prayer again this week is, Lord, start with me. Expose my sins. Help me repent of my sins. Kill out the roots of bitterness, of ungodly anger, judgmentalness, whatever else I may be feeling that's, that's against your will. Any, anywhere I'm not obeying these commands that you're giving me in Scripture, Lord, root it out, put it to death. And then we have to seek reconciliation with one another. We have to know that we have broken relationships with one another in varying degrees and various intensities at times. And we have to work towards seeing those things restored. That text told us, seek restoration, reconciliation. We need to offer forgiveness, and we need to receive forgiveness when it's extended to us. Above all, our goal is that we want to be able to worship with one another. And Jesus says, when you worship me, the worship I'm looking for is not just mere ritual. It's not just mere presence. It's worship in spirit and in truth. So if we're going to worship with one another, 
We need to be genuine with one another so we can be genuine with God. The verses we ended with last week stressed how important it was for us to deal with our own hearts and our relationships before we came to worship God, right? Listen to what else the Lord would say to us, though, this time through Paul's writing to Titus in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. For we ourselves, let's, let's like in this room, okay, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But, what a beautiful word, isn't it? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, not stingily, not a little bit, richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What a powerful change. We once were, all of us once were, And yet, here's where we are, by God's amazing grace. The only lasting, the only truly transformative reason for us to have real, genuine, deep relationships, to do the work with one another that we're talking about, to do that through difficulties and through really uncomfortable seasons, for you and I commit to doing it right now, the only reason for that is because of what Christ has done for his people. And because he's done this for his people, because if you name the name of Christ, because if you are one of his people, he's done it for you, then he empowers you through the outpouring. I mean, what was the word? Richly, richly poured out his spirit in you so that you can follow his commands. He's going to equip us. He's going to empower us. He's going to be with us as we seek to apply these things. The gospel is the message of the perfect life the atoning sacrificial death, and the conquering resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is the center of everything for us. It's what binds us together and it's what changes us. It's what motivates us to live our lives in this kind of radical way of truly loving one another, truly seeking to know one another, truly seeking to come in here and genuinely, authentically worship with one another. It all comes back to this Jesus Christ who saves us. We, all of us, every single one of us, fall far short of perfection, of God's holiness, of the standard that he's called us to. And yet he has saved us. He has extended grace and mercy to us because of the work of Christ, because of his merit, not our own. And as he regenerates us and renews us by his power, it comes to us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask two of our deacons to come. Randy Spratt, and our newest deacon, Eric Hathaway. And I'm going to ask them to serve us communion this morning, the elements of the Lord's Supper, which are for us tangible, physical reminders of this gospel. They're symbols. So I'm going to let you begin to, to distribute that to the church family here. These two symbols, bread and juice, are physical, tangible reminders of what Jesus has done for us and what it means for us. 
As usual, there's two cups, they're stacked together. So take one stack, you've got both elements, the bread's on the bottom, the juice is on the top. Hold them together for a moment, we'll take shortly. If you're not a Christian, and I know most of us in this room are saying we are, so if you're not, don't take them. They're not going to save you, they're not going to do anything special in you. It's just a piece of unleavened bread and about an ounce of juice. But those of us who name the name of Christ, those of us who have had not the juice as the central focus of our life, but the blood of Jesus at work in our life. These things point us to the basis, the only basis for us being able to move forward together with one another in our lives. The bread represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. He came, he lived in this broken world, and he himself was broken for us. He took all of our sins, our sins in this room, our sins, not, not somebody else's sins, right? This, this is about us, our sins. He took them upon himself. He paid the price. He was broken for us. Christian, this symbol that we hold of a broken body speaks powerfully to what he has done and it speaks powerfully to where we are going, what we're headed towards, what we are to be. Thank you. See, the, the thing about the Lord's Supper is the Lord's Supper is to be taken together in the assembly of the church. Uh, I don't want to make this controversial, but I just want to point this out. During our eight weeks when we could not gather, we shut down physical gatherings for COVID, and at no point during that did we take the Lord's Supper together. In fact, we made a point to celebrate that once we were back together physically, we took the supper and we celebrated. And the reason for that is I'm convinced from Scripture this act is to be done with one another. I, just, I don't think it can be mediated through a computer screen or through a text group, you know, grab a cracker, grab a Coke, you know, like that doesn't, that's not this. This moment's something, something much, much more special because we're with one another, Okay. So as we're here and we, we're each holding this piece of a broken piece of bread, symbolizing a broken body of our Savior, we're recognizing that as we take this together, we are entering into the body, into, into what he's making whole once again. We're part of something much, much bigger than us. And one day we will no longer be broken, a small little piece. We will be made whole in his kingdom. His body was broken for us, for us, to make us whole. Let's just thank him for that for a moment, and then we'll take. Father, we thank you for this great plan that you are unfolding, that it was, it was always from the beginning the plan that the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would come into this earth, this broken, broken earth, and deal with all the brokenness of these people that live on this earth. Lord, he would come, and he himself, the whole one, would be broken for our sake. As we think on that, as we think on him taking on our sins, being broken for our forgiveness, Lord, would you give us great gratitude for that, great gratitude for that, that we would take this in faith and gratitude for who you are and what you've done and belief, belief, Lord, that one day you will make us whole. You will make us whole together with one another. It's in your name that we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's take the bread together. This cup, it likewise speaks to us. 
of the death of Jesus on our behalf. His blood was shed. His life was poured out. His sacrifice was full and complete so that he could cover our sins. All of them. All of them. One of the most encouraging theological thoughts that transformed my life, that I've shared with many of you in this room as I've counseled you and I've seen God's work in your life has been this powerful thought. Think with me for a moment about when Jesus died. Step, step way back. Jesus' death on the cross here at this real moment in history. What was he doing with your life? Well, he was looking ahead at your life, right? He knew you. Now, as he hung on this cross, if it's true that he knew you, he knew your sins and he was going to bleed and die and give his life and be the sacrifice for your sins. When he looked ahead, does he see you right here in this moment where you are only? Where he says, okay, I've got it. I see Isaiah up until September 19th, 2021. I'm covering all the sins to right there. No, he sees my whole life. All my sins. What a thought. He's bled and he's died. This blood was shed for my sins. My sins past, my sins in the present right now, my sins in my future. He hung on the cross, he bled, he died to atone for them all. When he said, it is finished, to die. it was all finished. Doesn't need a contract rider, doesn't need another sacrifice. Needs are met at the cross once and for all. He died, Hebrews tells us, once and for all. So this blood was shed for our sins, the forgiveness of them all. Jesus, what a powerful truth that is. We hold a simple ounce of juice in our hands, and, and to us it's so much more than this. Not, not by transubstantiation, not by some, some miracle that I have worked. It's just juice. But it represents your blood. It reminds us of your death all those years ago on that cross to forgive our sins, all of our sins. Oh, what great grace this is. What great mercy this is. What great reason to celebrate and to thank you for saving us by your shed blood. Let's take the cup together. So we'll leave this room in, in, in just a few minutes. My hope is what we've talked about, what God has said through here, what God has said through his word. I mean, we read a lot of scripture, right? What he has said will go with us. The word of Christ will dwell in us richly. And I pray that we leave and we have a response of gratitude as we go. We have a commitment to obey as we go. But I don't want us to leave the room and rush out without a chance to, to express that to him right now in this place. And so we're, we're really blessed, again, just, again, God's great wisdom, that this is the moment that he knew was coming that we couldn't fully plan for. We have Morgan and Tyler here. And I love Wendy's heart for worship, and I love her uh, passion, her commitment. I mean, every week she's going to come up here and she's going to lead response. And this moment that we're in in our church family right now is, is a moment where I think just every single one of us needs the space and the freedom to just respond. And so Morgan and Tyler are going to come and lead us. They're going to lead us in a song about gratitude, a song that we'd already talked about them singing before anything took place. 
this week. Wendy had heard them sing this song before, maybe the last time they were here, and she, I mean, she's, when she knew they were coming back to lead worship for the Women's Week, and she's like, oh, they got to do gratitude, we got to have them, can they just lead that song? And, and yeah, that was the plan, and so what, what an appropriate time of response. We are going to respond to the Lord. I'm going to ask Pastor Ray if, if you would just, would you just pray over us that the Lord would help us to, to really rightly respond and bless us in this time, and then they're going to play, and, and we can move around. We've got the altars. We can pray with one another. You can, you can kneel at your seat. You can walk around. Whatever you need to do, we're going to respond. And, we, and would you just ask the Lord to help us to truly, all of us, do that this morning? We know that you have heard our prayers. We know that you see us right where we are. We know you understand what we're feeling. You know our fears. You know our concerns. You know, you know everything about us, Lord. And I pray that as I have felt today, Lord, every heart in this room would feel a sense of your love and that would, that would give them a great sense of trust. Help us to trust you. Lord, I pray, I pray that the same prayer we read in Scripture, just, just to be honest, Lord, we, we want to say we believe, but help our unbelief. We pray that, Lord, help Help us in the things we can't see the solution to, the things we can't control, the outcomes we can't create. Help us, Lord. Help us to have faith and trust in you. We do believe that you are at work in this place. We do believe that you are at work in the lives of people in this room, people that are not in this room, in the lives of people in our communities that you have put us here to reach out to still. So we say, here we are, Lord. Send us. Use us. Help us to obey all that you have said for us to do with one another. It's in your beautiful, powerful, all-knowing name that we trust and we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.